Well, let me invite you to turn in your Bible with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And we're going to talk a little bit uh, today to kind of set this up about preparation. All right, so I want you to imagine what would happen in your house, in your family, if one night everyone was summoned to the dinner table, and instead of finding a warm, fully prepared meal, instead what everybody found when they came to the dinner table was all the ingredients to prepare a meal, but nothing had yet been prepared. How would that go over? <laughs> you probably hear a fair amount of grumbling and complaining, right? Because preparation is hard work. And usually we like to enjoy the result of the preparation. We're not usually all that interested in the preparation itself, right? We, in other words, like think about sports. We like to watch athletes compete. We don't really like to watch them practice as much, unless you're, I mean, really, really into that sport, right? Some people really like to cook. Most people just like to show up to a hot meal, right? But the preparation is important, not only so that you can have the hot meal or, or watch the sporting event or whatever, but the preparation also helps build the anticipation for the event, right? You might not like preparing the meal, but don't you like to smell it? While it's cooking in the kitchen, it makes you start anticipating what's for dinner. This is going to be good. I'm starting to get hungry. I'm more excited about the meal now than I was a few minutes ago because I can smell it, right? That uh, long off-season for whatever sport you enjoy, right, builds the anticipation for when the season finally comes. The winter, right, with everything's dead and gray and dreary, builds anticipation for the spring so that when everything turns green once again we're excited and we've anticipated and we're grateful that it's here in a similar way john the baptist came to prepare the way for jesus and so john is going to start his narrative so far it's been kind of like an introduction people call it prologue the first 18 verses of john but now that he starts the story of jesus's life and death and resurrection he doesn't start it with jesus he starts it with john and why does he do that because we can kind of be like well i'm ready to get to jesus so do we really need to spend a whole sermon on john because i want to hear what jesus did and what jesus said well the reason why we need to spend this time on john why john the apostle spends this time on john the baptist is because what John came to do and what John says when he gets questioned about who he is helps build our anticipation for Jesus. So John is not here as a distraction from Jesus. He's not just sort of like a a sideshow to keep us entertained until Jesus gets here. He is preparing the way for Jesus and what he says and what he does actually helps us understand and appreciate even more who Jesus is. All right, so let's look at what the Apostle John says about John the Baptist, beginning in verse 19 of John 1, and I'll read down to verse 28. It says, And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed, and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. 
Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they have been sent from the Pharisees. And they asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Now, the first part of this story about John the Baptist focuses on who John is not. Who John is not. And to understand the questions that John was being asked, there are a few things we need to know about the Old Testament. You see, this is the beginning of the New Testament. This is the beginning of the coming of Jesus. And when Jesus comes, he is fulfilling many, many, many prophecies and promises from the Old Testament that a lot of us aren't as familiar with, maybe as we should be. The Jews, of course, they had studied the Scriptures diligently for centuries. They knew God's promises. They tried to figure out what God was going to do next and who God was going to send to rescue them next. And they were looking for the fulfillment of these promises. And so when John started baptizing and building a following, they wanted to know what was going on. Was he claiming to be one of these figures they had read about in the Old Testament that God had promised to send for the good of his people? And one of those is Elijah. Right? They ask him, are you Elijah? Now, why do they ask him that? Well, in the very last book of the prophets in our Old Testament, the book of Malachi, which we read from earlier, at the very end of that book... God tells his people this. He says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So before this day of the Lord comes, where God is going to come, before that happens, before this next great event, Elijah is going to come. And so they're wondering, John, are you Elijah? There was another figure promised in the Old Testament. We'll come back to why John says no to that in just a a moment. There's another figure in the Old Testament they're wondering about when they talk to John. And that is a particular prophet that was promised to come by Moses. Now, of course, there were a lot of prophets in the Old Testament. Elijah is one of them. But there was one prophet in particular that they were told to anticipate who would be like Moses. And, And this promise comes in Deuteronomy 18. Starting in verse 15, Moses says to the people of Israel, he says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. The Lord said, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. Now God's speaking to Moses. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Now, we might wonder, well, hadn't that prophet already come? Because a lot of prophets came after Moses. But at the end of Deuteronomy, 
We're told this, There has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Now, a lot of years have passed since the end of Deuteronomy had been written, but evidently, the Jews were still convinced, at least some of them, that this prophet promised by Moses was so significant and was so distinct, even from a prophet like Elijah or Elisha, that they thought this prophet had not yet come, and indeed he hadn't. So they asked Elijah, are you not a prophet, are you the prophet? The one Moses talked about. John says no to that as well. They also ask him, well, actually, they don't ask him. He tells them, I am not the Christ. Right? The Christ is uh, the same word as the Messiah, right? And the Messiah was also talked about in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 9, one of the more complicated and challenging prophecies in the book of Daniel, which is challenging in itself, talks about the, uh, uh, an anointed one, which is what Messiah or Christ means, being cut off. Um, and whether they had that particular prophecy in mind or not, we know from the New Testament that many of the promises uh, from the Old Testament, including the prophet, the promise of this particular prophet, they're all wrapped up in this one term, Christ, Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one. We know who that is, right? We know it's Jesus. But at that time, they didn't know yet who it was going to be. The Old Testament prophets weren't even sure who it was going to be. They knew he was coming. God gave them words to say, to, to uh, foretell his coming, but they didn't know who it was going to be. And the people in John's day didn't know who it was going to be. John eventually would know who it was going to be, and he would tell everyone. But at this point, he simply says, it's not me. I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. That's a lot of Knots, right? A lot of negatives. But in answering those questions that way, and seeming to be content with just saying who he's not, John reminds us that it's also important for us to remember who we are not. It's easy to start thinking or be tempted to think that we are someone or something that we're not. For example, you are not the savior of your children or your grandchildren. You are not an indispensable person in the sense that nobody else can do the job that you do at work or whatever. You're not the only person who can do fill in the blank, whatever it is that you do well. And the reason why it's important to remember that, one of the reasons why it's important is because we can try to take on burdens and responsibilities and obligations that we're not meant to carry, that we're not meant to try to shoulder. We can start to think that we are the Christ, that we are at least like sort of a little Messiah, that we have to save people. We have to save our kids. We have to save people at work. We have to save the world. 
that's Jesus' job. And he's got the shoulders to bear that burden because he's God. He can do it. I can't do it. And if I even start to try, I start to crumble. It is important for me and for you to remember who we're not. I'm not Jesus. Only Jesus can save my kids. Only Jesus is indispensable. Only Jesus can do what nobody else can do. That doesn't mean that we're not important. You're made in the image of God. You're part of God's plan. You have an important role to play in your life, your family. Your, you're important. I'm not saying you're not important. I'm not saying I'm not important. But we're not Jesus. And we don't need to think of ourselves as more important than we really are. It's dangerous to do that in lots of ways. We need to be able to be like John and say, that's not me. That's not my job. Don't come asking me if I'm the Messiah. That's not my job. I can't save anybody. Are you the, are you the promise? No, 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 that's not me. I've got a job, but that is, that's not it. That's not who I am. It's important to be able to say that. Now, there's one thing about what John says he's not that we need to camp out on for just a few minutes because uh, it can trip people up sometimes. They ask John, are you Elijah? And he says, I'm not. But, in a sense, he is. Because Jesus is going to say later in Matthew 11... He's going to say, all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You put those two things side by side, we got a bit of a conundrum. John the Baptist says, I'm not Elijah. Jesus says, if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. And it's not just Jesus, though that would certainly be enough. When the angel came to Zechariah, who's John the Baptist's father, to tell Zechariah that his wife Elizabeth was going to have a son who was going to have a particular job to prepare the way for the coming of the, of the Lord, here's what the angel said. He, said. he said, your son, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Doesn't that sound like what Malachi said when he said, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of the children of the fathers. That's what the angel said. The angel is not only saying he's going to come in the spirit and the power of Elijah, He uses the same words from the prophecy about the coming of Elijah to say, this is what your son is going to do. So what do we do with all that? How do we put all that together? Well, here's what John is saying. John is saying, I am not Elijah returned from heaven. Remember, Elijah was the one who was caught up in the whirlwind and the chariot of fire and taken up into the presence of God. He's not like Elijah raised from the dead or Elijah returned from heaven. He's not another, he's not Elijah come back. Instead, he's what we might call like a second Elijah. Right? Or as the angel put it, um, he comes in the spirit and power of Elijah. He's an Elijah-like 
prophet. And John himself not only knew this, but I think proclaimed this through the way that he acted. Okay, because in the Gospel of Mark, when we're told about John's ministry, in Mark 1.6, it says that John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Now, when you hear that as a kid, you just think, that just means John was kind of wild. <laughs> you know, like, he's wearing hairy clothes and eating weird things and living out all by himself. He's just kind of one of those, you know, like you imagine a prophet to be. But, I, but there's more going on than that. And I, I, this is not stuff I've figured out on my own. This is stuff other people have pointed out. And once you see it, it just it clicks, right? So in 2 Kings chapter 1, somebody has encountered the prophet Elijah. And he's told, I believe it's the king, if I'm remembering correctly. And the king said to them, What kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? They answered him, it says, He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. That was Elijah's way of dressing. Apparently, at least in part, they told him how this man was dressed. He's like, That's Elijah. What's implied there is only Elijah dresses like that. Only Elijah wears those hairy clothes with that big leather belt around him. And so when John the Baptist comes doing his ministry and he's dressed in camel's hair and wearing a leather belt, what he's saying is, I'm a new Elijah. I'm coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. I'm doing the kinds of things that Elijah came to do. So I don't think John is mistaken when he says, I'm not Elijah. He knows he's come in the spirit and power of Elijah. Surely his father told him what the angel said before he was born. What Elijah, or what, what John is saying is, I'm not Elijah come back. Right? Remember at one point, I think it's Herod um, thinks that Jesus is John the Baptist raised from the dead. John, what John is saying is like, it's not that kind of thing. It's not, it's not Elijah didn't get dropped back out of heaven with a new set of chariots, you know, and now I'm back. It's me, Elijah. No, I'm not Elijah in that sense. But is he the Elijah that was promised to come before the day of the Lord? Yes. Now, why is it so important for us to put all that together? Well, for one reason, so that we don't get confused about what's going on. We read in one place, I'm not Elijah, and another place, yeah, he is Elijah. But another reason why it's important to think about these things and put these things together is because we need to think about what it means to interpret the Bible literally. Okay, because there's a difference between interpreting the Bible literally and getting into what I'll call literalism. Okay? If we're interpreting the Bible literally, then what we mean is we're taking it seriously. We're trying to understand what it is saying. And so when John says, I'm not Elijah, and Jesus says he is Elijah, we don't play those two things off against each other. We don't write either one of them off. We try to figure out how those things can both be true. Because we're taking it seriously. We want to take it literally. But literalism says... uh, John says he's not Elijah. So he's not. That's what it says.
which means Elijah hasn't come yet, which means we all ought to be expecting Elijah. Now, there are some who think that John comes in the spirit of Elijah as one fulfillment of the promise of Elijah coming before the day of the Lord, and that maybe Elijah himself will come as a further fulfillment. I'm not arguing against that. That's a possible interpretation. I'm arguing against writing off what Jesus says about John being Elijah and writing off what the angel said about John being Elijah because John says he's not Elijah. That's literalism. Okay, that's what when literalism takes one part of the Bible seriously and writes off other parts because they don't fit with what you think this part is saying. Right? Well, that can't that can't mean that, right? We'll throw that out because th- this is what I'm stuck on. You got to watch out for that, right? Trying to be so literal that you end up ignoring other things in the Bible. Okay, that's. That's not faithfully interpreting the Bible. And sometimes faithfully interpreting the Bible means that things aren't quite as crystal clear as we would like. Because in fact, there may be some of you who are saying like, well, I just wish John would have said, I am Elijah. Then we wouldn't have to worry about this, right? But that's not what we've got in the Bible. We have to deal with what we've got. And all comes together. It all makes sense if we don't try to make it fit into our little boxes of how things are supposed to work. We need to listen to Jesus and the apostles and let them teach us how to interpret the Bible. So that when you read a prophecy like Malachi about the coming of Elijah, and Jesus says, if you're willing to accept it, John is the Elijah to come. You say, I'm with Jesus. I'm willing to accept it, because that's what he said. And he knows the Old Testament way better than I do, so I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with John is Elijah. That's the kind of attitude you want to have interpreting the Bible. If Paul says this is what that verse of the Old Testament means, that's what it means. Because Paul's not only smarter than me, right? he's also inspired by the Holy Spirit, which I'm not. So I'm going to go with what Paul says. Right, so... Um, so that's an, another reason to think that's uh, to, to pay attention to these kind of things because it's one of the things we we forget, right? As one guy said, it's easy to you can fall into the ditch on both sides of the road, right? We tend to think that the only way to get in the ditch is to not take the Bible seriously enough, and you're not literal enough, and so then you start sort of like just say, well, we don't. You just start, you know, kind of excusing parts of the Bible away. It's also possible to try to take the Bible so seriously that you end up in the ditch on the other side of the road, ignoring other parts of the Bible because they don't fit with what you think is going on over here in this part. Think about the Pharisees. Did the Pharisees take the Bible seriously? Yeah. They thought they were taking the Bible more seriously than anybody else around them. How'd that work out? They completely missed it. They completely missed it. All the time, Jesus was telling them how they missed it. You don't understand this? You're missing that? You think you're keeping the law, but you're actually missing the heart of the law? You're, you're, you're over here trying to make sure you, you know, tithe all these spices and stuff? I'm not saying that's bad, but you've forgotten the weighty stuff in the law. You're, you're missing the big picture. So don't get 
so caught up in like this one interpretation of this one passage that you think you have to hold on to that you you start saying, well, that you know that I, I don't agree with that part. I don't agree with that part. And start ruling out other parts of the Bible. Okay, that's enough on that. All right, now who is John? What does he say about himself? Verse uh, twenty-two says that they say to him, "Well, who are you?" We need to give an answer to those who say we can't just go back and say, "Well, he's not any of the people that we thought he was." And then our you know our bosses or whoever sent us, they're going to say, "Well, who is he?" I don't know. Well, why didn't you ask him? We got to ask you, who are you? And John has an answer. He's not out there in the wilderness baptizing people, going, "I don't know why I'm here." He knows why he's there. It's just not for any of the reasons that they expected. So he tells them, verse 23, here's who I am. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. He said, if you want to know who I am, you go read Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 is talking about me. And Isaiah 40, it's a, it's a turning point in the book of Isaiah, where Isaiah has been um, uh, talking about the, uh, the coming Exile or, or pointing toward the coming exile for Israel. And then in chapter 40, he kind of jumps ahead to when the exile is over. Right? And it begins with the words, comfort, comfort my people. Right? Because God is coming to deliver them. Right? It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. In other words, the reason you got sent into exile, it's all been taken care of, and now you are going to come home. You're going to come back. And that's when it says, a voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the desert, or make, excuse me, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. John is saying, I'm the one Isaiah talked about sent to tell you God is coming to deliver us. And we need to get ready. We need to get ready. Because He's coming. He's coming for our comfort. He's coming for our good. He's coming to deliver us. And we need to be ready when He comes. When it says, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Then in the next verse it says, uh, it makes straight in the desert a highway for our God. That means the Lord and God, they're the same person. They're in parallel. You see that in the Bible all the time, especially in the Old Testament. You put two things in parallel like that, it means they're synonyms, basically. They mean more or less the same thing. So when John says, I'm coming to prepare the way of the Lord, he means I'm preparing the way for the coming of God. And who's he preparing the way for? Jesus. And what's the other John been telling us from the very beginning of this book? Jesus is God in the flesh, come to save us. That's what John's saying too. I'm preparing the way for the Lord. That's why he says, in the last part of this passage, when they say, okay, well, you know, you're not the Messiah, the Christ, you're not Elijah, you're not the prophet, why are you baptizing? What, what authority do you have? What reason do you have? Why, why are you out here baptizing? He doesn't really answer the question, but he tells them what they need to know. Here's what he says in verse 26. He says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. Basically, he says, look, guys, what I'm doing is not that big of a deal. 
I'm baptizing with water. That might seem really important to you right now, but i got something to tell you. There's somebody here right now. You don't know who he is yet, but he's already here. And he's so much higher than me that even untying his sandals is too high a responsibility for me. I'm so low, I don't even belong at his feet. I'm lower than that. So you don't need to be worried about why I'm baptizing and who I am. That's really not that important of a question, except to the extent that I'm here to prepare the way for him. He's the one you need to be asking questions about. He's the one you need to be wondering about and wondering why he's here and who he is. Because we're going to find out, guess what? The one John's talking about, he is the Christ, the Messiah. He is the prophet, like Moses, but greater than Moses. He is the Lord himself, come, and that's why John has come to prepare the way for him. God is coming to deliver his people. He's doing that through Jesus, his son, who is God come in the flesh. And it's that news that John has come to announce to the people and prepare them for. How do we prepare for that? Well, the way has already been prepared. Now our job is just to respond. To not get caught up in who John is, not get caught up in who we are, but to remember who we're not. And who he is, who Jesus is. Remember, he's the one that if we receive him, if we believe in his name, we receive the right to become children of God. He's the one who came, though no one had ever seen God, he was God, come from the bosom of God, the Father, to make God known to us. He is the one who is God in the flesh, And John says, I got to see his glory. And you know what I saw? This one is full of grace and truth. So if you want to know the truth, which Jesus said would set you free, and if you want grace that overflows and abounds to cover all of your sin, to empower you to live a new life following Christ, trusting him, Get your eyes off yourself. I need to get my eyes off myself. Don't worry about John. Don't worry about everybody else. Put your eyes on Jesus. Because he's the only one who can do what nobody else can. He's the only one who can save. He's the only one who can give new life. He's the only one who overflows with grace and mercy for all who trust in him. Let's pray.